Welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Good morning. As Pastor Michael and Pastor Daria mentioned, my name is Dan. Uh, I'm uh, an international worker with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, And as Pastor Daria mentioned, it's not just me. Uh, But my family is on mission overseas, uh, serving the Lord in the Arab lands. And we've been overseas for about four and a half years and came home just at the beginning of the summer. You can see a photo of my family. That's my wife, Miriam, our oldest daughter, Abigail. Emily in the middle is two years old. And Margaret is, uh, now she's four and a half months. I can hardly believe she's growing up so quickly. Uh, Some of you that have been around Long Hill in person over the past few months have gotten to see us. Uh, We'd love to see all of you in person if if you're available. Uh, We're staying through the calendar year. and a little bit into 2022 in the states touring around different churches and so if you want to catch up with us please feel free uh you can drop your name in the in the comments on on facebook or wherever you're watching and we'll try and find a way to connect that would really be a a joy for my family and we would love to to see some familiar faces Uh, our family served here at long hill chapel a few years before going overseas and so coming back and sharing a word from the scripture is always Just such a blessing to my heart because we really feel uh, that that you all at Long Hill are still our our family that remembers us, that prays for us, that cares for us as we serve overseas uh, in a different part of the globe. The scripture I want to look at today comes from Ezekiel. Uh, As we turn to the scripture, if you're at home and have a Bible and want to turn to it, we'll be looking at Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, I'm just going to open with a word of prayer, and then we'll read through this segment of scripture. Um, And I encourage you, if you hear nothing else from me today, hear the word of the Lord, uh, which is more true and more challenging and more living and active and meaningful than anything that I could uh, try to communicate. So Lord, we invite you now in this time to speak through your word to challenge our hearts and our minds and even our very lives, that we would, in some way, as a result of studying your word today, look a little bit more like Jesus Christ, that we would be challenged to surrender a little bit more of ourselves, that a little more of you could live in us. Lord, give us fresh ears and fresh eyes to wrestle with a familiar text. Lord, and give us a passion to reach the nations, to reach the lost, with the message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to turn with me now in Ezekiel chapter 37, and we'll begin with verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these dry bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tenons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tenons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So the Lord said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied, as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you back up from them. And I will bring you back unto the land of Israel. And then, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and when I bring you up from them, I will put my spirit into you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. What a powerful passage. If you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church for a while like me, maybe you've heard this story a couple times. It seems to permeate a number of the songs that we sing. Uh, it, it's a common theme, this idea of dry bones coming back to life. And it's inspirational. It's hopeful. It's exciting. We like this story. Some of you may know, one of the things that I do in Lebanon is, is I teach at a Bible school. And so I'm going to let you in on a little secret about this passage, though. This passage comes at a point that we like to call Ezekiel 37. Now the deep scholarly meaning of that is that prior to this comes Ezekiel 1 through 36. Oftentimes we seem to forget that. We love to jump to this passage and be familiar with this scripture. But there's a whole lot of things that happen in Ezekiel's life in the revelation of God prior to getting to Ezekiel 37. And do you know what those things are? Failure. Failure after failure after failure on behalf of Ezekiel to convince the people of Israel to repent, to change their ways, to pursue God again, to stop sinning. The life of Ezekiel, the ministry of Ezekiel, is really 36 chapters of failure. In fact, when Ezekiel gets his call in Ezekiel 2, God tells him right off the bat, hey, you're going to speak on my behalf and nobody's going to listen to you. My people are stubborn. They've gone away. If you read even just through the chapter headings going through the book of Ezekiel, they're not good. During Ezekiel's lifetime, five kings of Israel have come and gone, each one worse and worse and worse. The nation of Babylon has come in and defeated the Israelite army, has destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and has taken the most important and uh, religious and scholarly leaders of Israel out of Jerusalem and brought them as slaves into Babylon. This is where we get characters from the Bible like the character of Daniel. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of those stories of, of famous people from the Old Testament. And Ezekiel is no different. Taken away as a captive, as a slave to a foreign nation. And so we have 36 chapters of struggle, of difficulty. 
And finally, we get to this chapter, chapter 37. And it begins almost with a promise, with a, with a beautiful image, if you will. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. If you're hearing this, and you live in the Middle East like I do, you will know that this is supposed to be a turning point, an exciting, a happy time for Ezekiel. You see, he's had struggle after struggle after struggle, and the Lord is finally bringing him where? Out into the valley. The valley in the Arab lands where I live is a place of rest. It is a place of beauty. It is a place of good things. It is a place of fruitfulness. Think maybe of the nation of Egypt, a strong power in the ancient world. Why? Because they have the Nile River Basin, which is essentially a valley that has water and good farmland. Babylon, the empire that destroyed Israel. They have the Tigris and the Euphrates River and a nice valley between these mountain ranges that create fertile land that's good for farming, that's good for lush living. So when Ezekiel is brought out by the Spirit of the Lord into the valley, this is different than when Jesus is brought by the Spirit of the Lord into the desert, right? We know that that's going to be a hard time. But when Ezekiel is brought out into the valley, we're supposed to go, ah, he finally gets his sabbatical. Nice little break after all that struggle. But there's a problem with this valley. The end of the verse, the author throws in the valley. It was full of bones. See, for Ezekiel, he experiences here maybe what you and I have experienced in our own lives. That places that the Lord has made good and fruitful and beautiful have a tendency over time to get destroyed, to become corrupted. You see, in the ancient world, valleys were actually good for two things. They were good for farming, but they were also really good for fighting. Because if you have a big army and I have a big army, what do we need? We need a big flat space where we could charge at each other with our swords. And so Ezekiel finds himself here in the midst of a valley that has been marred by battle, that has this dead army on it, these dry bones. His sabbatical is ruined. His hope for a restful time may be ruined. His excitement that maybe God was finally going to give him a little bit of a break is ruined. And Ezekiel, let's not forget, not only did he have like a difficult time in ministry, he also had to do some really weird things in his ministry. I don't know if you've read through the book of Ezekiel, but like he's not only a prophet that speaks, he's also like the mime prophet. He's always laying on his side to symbolize different things. He cooks all his food over a bunch of dung to symbolize the filthiness of Israel. If you ever see your pastor cooking his food over a pile of poop, Please listen to him. This means that he has, well, either call for an ambulance or listen to him. Because, right, it would mean that something, he must be trying to communicate something really important. But still nobody was listening to Ezekiel. 
And so he comes to this valley, marred by destruction. And Ezekiel, he must have maybe felt a little bit like me this past year. Maybe a little bit like you after this past year. Ready to throw in the towel. See, I serve in a country in the Middle East that's called Lebanon. And Lebanon is frequently referred to as the Paris of the Middle East. Uh, it's called that because it's a beautiful country. It has two mountain ranges that come down in a Y formation to make a valley that is fertile and good. It has water all year round that comes from the melted snow in the mountains and makes for good farming land. It has the Mediterranean coast on one side and a mountain not far on the other so you can actually ski down and in the same day go swimming in the tropical sea. A beautiful valley. But Lebanon, over the course of its existence, has become a valley of dry bones. It had a 20-year civil war where different religious sects of Muslim and Christian and other religions fought each other for political power, for land, for rights, and it ended up with hundreds of thousands dying and with hatred upon hatred building, it's become a place of dry bones. Over the past five years since I've been there, Lebanon has experienced one of the worst humanitarian crises. Um, the IMF actually says it's the worst economic crises in its existence. Uh, it's had the highest inflation rate in the, in the world for the past two years. It had an explosion that was the second largest non-nuclear explosion in history that destroyed about a third, maybe half of the city. Uh, some of you might remember my family was here last summer on August 4th when our apartment was destroyed. The Lord protected us that day, but we watched as a nation crumbled. Lebanon has more refugees per capita than any other country in the world. One in four people there is fleeing war and unable to work and unable to go to school. And it's just crisis after crisis after crisis in this beautiful place, the Paris of the Middle East, this lush valley has become a, a place of dry bones. But I think what's harder for me maybe is that I've had a couple opportunities over the last year, two years, with my family to travel back to Morris County, New Jersey. Um, and this place where I grew up, this community that I call home, in a lot of ways is starting to show the same tendencies. This place that for me, for my family, actually even back to the revolution, has been a place of vibrancy, of life, of goodness, is starting to show its cracks. We see divisiveness on almost every issue. We see every week another teenager ODing in our schools. We see active shooter after active shooter in the news. We see the homelessness rate in Morris County. We talked earlier in the announcements about helping with coat drives for Market Street Mission. Does it bother you? Like it bothers me? The depth of the pain and the hurt and the bones that are piling up here in our home, here in the place that we love? So when I read this passage... I feel a little bit like Ezekiel. 
That these two homes that I kind of possess in my heart, this country of Lebanon, the city of Beirut, and also my, my home from my childhood, Morris County, New Jersey, these two places that are supposed to be so beautiful are both starting to look pretty bad. And I got to the point this last year, maybe it was after the explosion, when it seemed like there's really no hope left for Lebanon, where God brought me to this passage. And he brought me specifically to verse 3. And God asks, Son of man, can these bones live? Right, and we know Ezekiel. He's a good medical doctor. So obviously, having a good medical history, he says, no, Lord, bones don't live. Ever been to a cemetery, God? Not many bones coming back to life. No, of course not. No, he doesn't say that. We know he doesn't say that. He's a prophet of the Lord, a respected man of God. He must have a much better, more faithful answer. Of course, Lord, these bones can live. With you, all things are possible. That'd be the nice pastor answer, I guess. But Ezekiel, with uh, maybe a little bit of a heavy heart, with 36 chapters of struggle, if you will. He doesn't quite have the faith anymore to muster up that answer either. What does he say? Sovereign Lord, only you know. Only you know, God, if something good can still happen here. Only you know if new life can come here. Only you know if bones can come back to life. Because from my experience, from what I'm looking at, it doesn't happen very often. But isn't it amazing what the Lord can do with just the smallest open door of faith? Just this, Jesus says, right, with, with, with a mustard seed of faith, we can command the mountain be thrown into the sea. And so Ezekiel, tired, unsure, I'm sure frustrated, with Israel's failures, with his disappointments, only you know, Lord. And in that, God is able to do infinitely more than I, I think Ezekiel would have ever asked or imagined. Certainly more than Ezekiel ever would have been able to do in his own acting or in his own speaking. Right? Because we see immediately after prophesy to these bones and say, dry bones, hear what the word of the Lord says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And he does it. Bone comes to bone, covered in tendon, covered in flesh, and then breathed into, and this vast army arises in the midst of a valley of dry bones. New life enters. And I'm excited to say that over the past year and a half, that's a little bit what we've seen in Beirut, Lebanon. After that explosion, when I threw up my hands and my wife and I looked at each other and said, do we really want to be family on mission anymore? Because it's hard. Our home got destroyed. Our school got destroyed. Our ministry got wrecked. The families we loved are leaving. What on earth are we going to do? How are we going to keep building this church? How are we going to do our plant? What are, how are we even going to find a flight back? The airports are closed at this point. Can these bones live? Can't we just give up on Lebanon? But we had the faith at least to say, God, only you know. 
maybe something good can still happen here. I have a video that I'd like to show that maybe just gives a small glimpse into what we've been seeing in Beirut. August the 4th at 6.07 p.m. explosion took place at Port Beirut. Around 200 people died because of the explosion and around 6,000 were injured. Our church in Carantina and the Bible school were affected by the explosion. Because of the corona, the church did not meet on Tuesday for prayer meeting. Praise God that he protected the church people and the staff. Lebanon economically is bad. People who weren't working, now they are concerned how they're gonna fix their houses. Many NGOs came by, took pictures, interview information, but they never did anything. So when we came in, we just saw the need. Uh, we took the measurement of the glasses uh, and we came again the same day and we fixed it. The good news uh, spread among people. The evangelical church is helping, they are honest. So people start calling us and we uh, fixed them right away. After fixing the houses, they still have needs. So some people are asking for milk, for medicine. I said, by God's grace, we will do, we'll do something. Uh, when we show the love of Christ, it's not only by words, but by deeds, to show them that we are with you, we are next to you, you are not uh, left alone, and the Lord sent us to help you out. When we go to the house, I share my story with Jesus, and they listen. I think some of the houses will be open for the Bible study and maybe plant churches among those houses. We thank the Alliance family all around the world who stood with us. Even it's finished fixing the houses and even if we start do Bible study and churches, the work will continue until the return of Jesus Christ. We will not stop. So we're gonna build for him all this to cover the windows. Hope is returning to Beirut. That video was made a few months after the explosion, but I'm honored and privileged to say that since that time, um, the Alliance family has seen over 86 people come to Christ. We've seen lives transformed for Jesus Christ. We've seen families restored. We've seen, we've seen babies dedicated in the name of Jesus. And we've seen dry bones start to get put back together again. But it hasn't been because my family has been doing a whole lot. What this story shows me in Ezekiel uh, is that maybe for mission, I had the wrong idea. Um, for the first few years of ministry, right, my family was teaching at the school, and we were teaching, and we were trying to do a church plant, and we were trying to see all these things happen, uh, and it just ended in disappointment and disappointment. But when I read this chapter, when I read Ezekiel 37, 
After Ezekiel's tried so hard for so many chapters to see a great movement of God through the words he speaks and the actions he does, what ultimately happens? God does it. Ezekiel sees the valley of the dry bones, and does he come up with the plan to fix it? No, God does. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And after God comes up with the plan, does Ezekiel start getting some duct tape out and putting the bones back together like, all right, God, if you want, I guess we'll try. No. God does it. And after the bodies have been rebuilt and they're looking for new life, is it Ezekiel that starts giving mouth to mouth? No. God breathes the new life. The story of Beirut, Lebanon over the past year is not that Dan and Miriam and Abby and Emily have been on mission. It's that God has been on mission. And we've done our best to do the little bit that Ezekiel does do in this chapter. Do you know what it is? When God tells him prophesy, when God tells him to speak, he does. And we've committed to doing that. And we've committed to doing it in a difficult area of the world where sometimes there's social repercussions, sometimes there's physical dangers. But when God shows up and he tells us to speak on, someone, on his behalf to somebody, we are trying our best to speak. Let me give you two quick stories. The first is about a guy. I'm not going to say his name because I don't know where this recording is going to go. He is a Syrian refugee. And he's a blacksmith by trade. And this blacksmith, he came from Syria and he came into Lebanon and he was looking for work. So he did what most of the Muslims that come to the country do. He went to the mosque. And he asked the imam, the religious teacher there, the sheikh, do you have any work for me? Is there anything I can do? My family needs to eat. Can you help us? And the sheikh, being very religious, said, uh, ask Allah, praise God, ask God. And maybe he will help you. And so my friend, he went home to his house and that night he prayed out and said, God, if you are real... Help my family. And that night he had a dream. And in that dream he was back at the same mosque where he had been. And he was rebuilding the minaret, the, the, the tall tower uh, that proclaims the praise at the mosque, uh, the call to prayer. And at the top of it there's always a crescent moon. If you've, if you've seen a mosque before maybe you'll know. And he was hammering on the crescent moon and hammering and putting it back together. Making this new fancy blacksmith moon. And when he backed up when he was finished, it was a cross. And he was distraught, terrified even. And he ripped it down. And he woke up in the morning, the next morning, in a, in a sweat. What was that dream, God? But then the next dream, the next night, the same dream persisted again. He's at the mosque and he's building the minaret. And at the top, he built a cross. Night after night, he built a cross. He built a cross. He built a cross. One day, my friend is driving down the highway and he sees the Alliance building. At the top of all our buildings... We have a big metal cross and the words, Jesus is the light of the world. And he said, that's the cross I've been building in my dreams. And so he pulled in and he stopped and he asked, what, what is this place? Because I've seen it and I can't stop building it in my dreams. And we told him. We told him that we were a church and we told him about the love of Jesus Christ. We told him that we were here to care for him and for his family and to love them. And when the opportunity arose, we spoke without fear of what might happen from his family 
or from his religious community, but believing that God had brought him to us in order for us to speak. That man's now the director of our food distribution warehouse. And he ministers day in and day out to people of Islamic faith that come to receive care packages. And he tells us that dream that he had was true. It's not just that he saw the cross, but he is actually building out the cross into the community from which he came. And there's new hope and new life being offered. Second story comes from one of these things. I always thought these were silly when I was growing up. My church used to do them, and we'd go to the dollar store with my mom and buy a whole bunch of stuff, and it was kind of like a fun little Christmas activity. Over the last couple of years, I've got to see the impact of these little boxes and the hope that they offer, not just in the goods inside, but in the message that comes with them. I don't know if you know this, the director for Operation Christmas Child Discipleship Training the one that teaches the teachers on how to communicate to children the gospel, how to raise them up in the faith after they receive these boxes. The guy that does that, he graduated from the theology school where I teach. And every Christmas, we have hundreds of children that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that have never received Christmas gifts, come and open these boxes. And with it, He's there, and I'm there, and Abby's there. And what do we do? We speak, just like Ezekiel. We prophesy about the new life that comes in Jesus Christ. And we've seen families transformed for the gospel. But what I want to see is that be true of Long Hill Chapel. Because there's kind of two realities about this text. The first comes in verse 11. After God has raised up the dry bones, after he's put new life in them and things, there's kind of an ironic twist to the story. The Lord says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. See, there's something weird about this. And I didn't catch it at first, but it's really important. Who is saying this? Our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. The ones who are saying this are the same ones who had just been brought back to life. The same ones that God had just raised up, put back together, breathed into, and now they're complaining. Oh, church, how true is this of us? That we, the ones who have been given the very breath of life, the very spirit of God. Jesus says, a, a, a living water rising up to everlasting life and overflowing. How many of us have that and then still feel this? We're hopeless. We're dried up. We're cut off. And I know for some of us, even some of you are watching at home, surely that feels like it's been the case over this last year. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost some relationships, some community. We must, as the people of God, not confess like these living bones that we are still dried up. But we must hold as a community of faith to being a people of life, a people of hope, 
A people who are not cut off, but who are accepted, nay, who are adopted into the family of God. Because only when we hold that message together can we bring it out to the community around us. A community that truly is dried up and hopeless and cut off. If we have the same message, we're no different from them. But the story of the gospel is that this prophecy is already completed. The grave has already been defeated. The Spirit has already been given to you. My family is trying very, very hard to go back to Beirut, Lebanon. It's an uphill battle. The country is not stable. There's no more hospitals that are open. We won't be able to get our daughter to school at this point, it doesn't look like. They ran out of gasoline. Last week, the entire electrical grid failed. There was no power in the whole country. Uh, and believe it or not, the Alliance isn't overly keen on sending a family with three young kids into that type of near-war situation. But we're trying. Because we know that God is bringing hope and life to that community, and it would be such a joy to be a part of it. But if we go back, when we go back, I want to promise out of you, Long Hill Chapel, that you will be ambassadors for the kingdom of God here in Chatham and Madison and Florin Park and in Morristown, all the way into Newark and New York City, into your homes and into your workplaces, into your schools. Because if I'm over there, I've got to know, I've got to be able to trust that you're doing it here. Because I have friends and I have loved ones and I have family members that don't know Jesus. And if you're not telling them, who is? I want to come back in another four years and tell you all the great stories of what God is doing in a foreign land. But more than that, I want to hear all the great stories of what God is doing here. Through you, through your church, through your ministry. So who is it in your family? Who is the one that needs the hope of the gospel? Who is the one that seems like they're beyond reach? That man, just like Ezekiel, you throw your arms up and say, man, only God you know. Only you know if that child could come back to the faith. They seem pretty long gone to me. Only you know if my brother or sister could ever come back into the fold and be a prodigal. Only you know if my boss, oh Lord, if only my boss would come to faith. Maybe you're the boss. This is Chatham, New Jersey. You're probably the boss. Are you showing it to the people that serve under you? Do they know that you're a Christian by the way that you live, by the way that you love? When they come into contact with you, do they feel like maybe for the first time they're being embraced and welcomed into something loving and good, a family that is true and righteous? Long Hill Chapel, 75 years is a great legacy. But I want to hear about 75 more. I want to hear about what God is going to do in your future. I want to hear about families on mission. Families that didn't just pack one shoebox or 10, but 100. Families that didn't just decide, hey, you know what, we're going to pack a couple. No, we're going to volunteer and we're going to help distribute them. No, I don't want to hear about just donating coats. I want to hear about how you love the homeless in your community and how you welcome them in your church. Because that is the kingdom of God. 
Last thing, and then we'll close, because I'm probably longer than I'm supposed to be, but when we're online, I have no way to know that, because I don't see any angry faces. Family on mission. Parents, the legacy of Long Hill Chapel is that it is a church that sends out its best people as servants for the gospel. They send them out as church planters. They send them out as missionaries. They send them out, as Jesus says, as sheep amongst the wolves. If you're watching this today with your kids, if you're watching it with your grandkids, how many of you are willing to dedicate your child for the service of the gospel? It's a really hard call. But I'll share one more story. When I was 13 years old, I went to a Christian conference called Life, and I decided that I wanted to be an international worker, that I wanted to be a missionary. Um, then I had the joy of coming home and telling my parents that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come home, <laughs> if your teenager has ever come home and told you decisively what they were going to do with their future or maybe what they were going to do with their weekend. But usually that's a family kind of put the foot down moment, right? And I thought maybe my dad would put the foot down and say like, no, son of mine, you're going to get a good career and make lots of money. I didn't know what really actually to expect. But I came home and I told them. But it was my mom that had one of those like cut me to the heart moments. She didn't say anything. She just turned and she went upstairs. I thought, oh, worse than making him angry. Disappoint him. But a few minutes later, my mom came back downstairs and she was holding a, a salty songbook Bible, a children's Bible. And she opened it up to the title page and it said, this Bible belongs to, and in little five-year-old handwriting, Daniel Hutton, when I grow up, I'm going to be, little five-year-old handwriting, a missionary. And she told me, when you were five, we had a missionary come and speak at our church and tell us about how there were places around the world that never get to hear about Jesus. And you said, as a five-year-old, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them. And you wrote it down in your Bible. And I kept that. And I didn't pressure you about it, but I have prayed every day, every week, every month, every year, that if that is true of your calling, if it was true that when, when you were five, that it would be true when you come of age. And I've been praying also that when that day came, God would give me the strength to say, okay, and to release you. And so she gave me back that Bible, and she said, I release you. How many of you are willing to release your children to go to the most dangerous parts of the world? Where homes will be destroyed, where churches will be car bombed, where Christians will be killed? Because there is a world that does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you will pray that Long Hill Chapel will continue a great legacy of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth? In, in, in the Alliance, we like to say, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what that really means is to the different regions of our influence. Will you commit to sending out people still to reach our core community, our Jerusalem, and then our bigger community, our Judea, our Samaria, our people that are around here but a little different than us, they act different, they sound different, maybe they look a little different, and will you be a church that continues to send workers to the ends of the earth for the gospel?
There is a population the size of Brooklyn that dies every two weeks without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ. That is unacceptable. Knowing the life and the hope and the freedom that he brings, that is unacceptable. And so church, I challenge you, be families on mission. Do small things. Pack shoe boxes. Do medium-sized things. Go to Market Street. Go to First Choice. Go to Family Promise. Do little bigger things. Go to the Dominican Republic. And do big things. Go to the ends of the earth. God will do the work. But we have to be there to open our mouths and speak when he calls us. Let's pray. Lord, you give the vision. Give the vision to Long Hill Chapel just like you did to Ezekiel of how dry bones can come back to life. Lord, if there is anyone watching today that is experiencing that, the hopelessness, the cut-offness of what it means to be apart from God, Lord, I pray that in a radical way you would touch their heart now and that you would breathe into them the very living presence of God. Restore them to new life. But not just for their own sake and not just for our sake, but that we could be your witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Challenge us to go further than we thought we could, to say more than we have the knowledge or the words or the courage to say. Forgive us, Lord, when we're fearful and when we mess up. And Lord, bring your kingdom. Bring it in Chatham and Madison and Florham Park. Bring it in Beirut. And Lord, come back soon. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.